0: Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to this episode
1: of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. I'm Paul Peluso, the editor of Officer Magazine, and I'm joined, as always, by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going today, Frank?
0: Good morning, Paul. Doing pretty good. Yourself?
1: I am doing pretty good as well. So today we'll be talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, also known as DEI, and uh, basically what it means for law enforcement, Uh, not only when it comes to hiring, but also when it comes to dealing with people on the street. And Frank um, pinned an article that's set to run in the September-October issue of Officer Magazine that'll be published uh, in mid-October, and the title of it is DEI, Unavoidable Realities in Law Enforcement. So, Frank, if you can uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what you covered in your article, you you know, you uh, tagline we used for this was a- agency uh, general orders and standard operating procedures need to fully address DEI concerns as guided by the agency jurisdiction uh, legal team. What were the main points that you you thought you had to make um, when it came to DEI and law enforcement?
0: You know, I, I guess the overarching thought, Paul. And and it may aggravate a lot of people. A lot of people disagree with me. And when it comes to something like DEI, everybody has differing opinions, and we got to respect them. But my my biggest point, I think, was that you know in law enforcement we we do have to have hiring standards, and there's always going to be somebody that doesn't meet that standard. Um, and in today's world, we're recruiting and retention is such a challenge. Uh, it's very tempting to modify the standard, to lower the standard, whatever, but at the end of the day, all that does is increase our liability and create potentially bigger problems down the road. Ultimately, we're never going to make everybody happy. You can't make 100% of the people happy, so uh, you're always open to lawsuits or complaints from people who don't meet the standard or are disqualified for any other reason, um, and and that. That create, you know, they sure they can sue you for that, but what happens if you hire them and then you you create bigger liability issues down the road? And I, I think that was where I what I was trying to articulate, and it can certainly be a challenge, uh, especially when you start looking at everything that you're trying to address. When we talk about DEI, and I want to make this clear, a lot of the podcast ideas, uh, as we as I threw them out there to you, um, you know, transgenderism is probably one of the easiest to call out uh, because um, it's so visually obvious sometimes or most of the time, depending on where you live, I guess. Um, But it's not the only thing we're talking about with DEI. We're talking about any uh, condition or characteristic that would put somebody in an underrepresented category. It could be a physical challenge, disability. It could be a mental or emotional challenge or disability. Uh, It could be a simple intelligence uh, level a level of intelligence. I want to call it a disability. Everybody has a different level of of innate intelligence, uh, what we used to call IQ. And people with a lower IQ uh, may not be able to pass some of the testing. Um, some of the some learning disabilities might be impactful. So DEI really encompasses everything uh, that that sets somebody different or might hurt them or challenge create a challenge for them in meeting a standard. Uh, and when we're talking about recruiting and retention. We're talking about day-to-day operations, those standards, the the policies and procedures have to be written both to protect the agency and to protect the people that we serve. Um and boy, didn't that wasn't that a mouthful trying to answer your question.
1: Well, and I, I think that's the problem with DEI when when we look at it as a whole, it's so broad. You know, it covers so many areas that how do you how can you lump it all into one? I, I think that's that's one of the issues there. Um, but this is something that all you know, law enforcement agencies are struggling with because like, when you talk about disqualifying um, factors, you you know, race should uh, you know not go into that. Um, you, you talk uh, about transgenderism, and I guess there's issues there. But in law enforcement, age, you know, usually you can't be 85 and sign up for the academy, right? Like that—that's well, that's a standard that's pretty much been.
0: Perfect example of that, though. But who said, but why does that exist? We, yeah, we have a, yeah. a disqualification age, and some agencies do it based on we don't want to put you through the academy and not be able to get a full career out of you. You know, sure. we want you to be able to return, earn your retirement. So, retirement age is 63, 25 years to retirement. Uh, we want you no older than 38 when you go into the academy. Um, Some agencies say 42. Other agencies say whatever. But the funny thing is, once you're there, as long as you can maintain the standards, we've had uh, we've run stories on deputies that are 90 and still out there doing the job. Now, they're not chasing crackheads down the street. I get that. But they're still on the job doing whatever function they're assigned. Um, But age is most definitely a discriminating factor. I mean, what if you're too old, too young? You can be disqualified.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Too young as well. Um, You know, you usually can't, you know, join the Academy at 18. Um, At least in the past, you haven't been able to. Um,
0: Even it depends on the state in Louisiana. You actually can. Yeah, exactly. It depends on the state. Um, Most places, 21 is where they're looking for, for you to be sworn in. So you can start the Academy at 20 and a half. Um,
1: Like I said, this is, it's very broad as far as what DEI covers. And, um, you know, in in your article, you covered a a lot of it. Um, I I guess let's start off, you know, when when you talk about race and, you know, having a a diverse, um, you know, when you talk about diverse agencies, you talk race, you talk gender, uh, usually in, in the past. Um, you know, you think of about all the protests that went on around, uh, the time of COVID around that 2020, um, time frame, And, you know, you had a lot of people talking about diversity within law enforcement. You know, this, this has been going on for a long time. How have you seen, I guess, agencies try to, I guess, attack or address that part of DEI?
0: Well, you know, I, I, I go back a lot farther than that because of course, yeah. um, I, I remember as a child in the 70s, OK, um, seeing reports about Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department and uh, they couldn't hire enough minorities. Now, with affirmative action in place at the time, they had to hire at least 10 and, percent and they couldn't hire enough. And the reason they couldn't hire enough was because um, at the time they were having a hard time finding applicants who could pass the written test. Uh, And then, you know, there's the claim that the written test was was prejudicial, that it didn't take into consideration uh, people who'd grown up in low income families and this and that. And so that they could actually meet their hiring requirements where minorities were concerned. They lowered the standard. They lowered the written test requirement uh, for a passing score. And then even that they got complaints about that being prejudicial. Now, you, you bring that forward to where we are today. And, and I think probably the, the best outlook to have is that your agency should proportionately, as much as possible, proportionately represent the community that serve. Now, what's that mean? Um, when you take into consideration race, religion, gender, um, age, uh, all this other stuff, if you have a community that you're serving that is... 80% one race, 20% another race, should your agency be balanced the same way, 80-20? Well, in a in a perfect world, wouldn't that be great? It would be representative of the community. But not every officer comes from the community that they serve. Uh, and, and in fact, they've done away with, in so many places, the requirements that you live within the jurisdiction you serve. That used to be a big deal back in the 70s. You had to live where, if you, if you wanted to be a DC cop, you had to live in DC, and a whole bunch of people that came to apply for the jobs from Maryland and Virginia and West Virginia even went. You want me to do what? I'm not living in the city. I live in so and so. I'll come in the city to work, and th- they would be disqualified because they didn't live in the city. Um, so even some even something as simple as residency could disqualify you back then. Now, moving forward, everything we looked at in 2020. Um, You know, I I think we've actually got to a point where we focus on treatment and not ethnicity or gender or age. I mean, uh, the legacy media has a great time pointing out Caucasian males as these evildoers, uh, as they as they use their badge and they abuse their power toward every minority out there. And in some instances. It's just manipulation of the news. Uh, I'm not going to say names, but there's that one incident where we had a Caucasian male, a Asian male, a African-American male, and a Hispanic male. And the legacy media never reported on the the three uh, officers that were there that were other than Caucasian, and they made it all about Caucasian versus African-American. Um, and we have to we we have to fight that. We have to try to offset that. But in today's world, if your hiring practices aren't um, focused on performance selection, every like I said, everybody has to have standards. But performance selection here is the main goal now, right? We're, we I don't care if you if you that you have an age cutoff, great. You have a minimum, you have a maximum, fantastic. But if you're specifying and and great, have a written test. Have the test be written in such a manner that pretty much anybody with a seventh grade education, sixth grade education, can read it, comprehend it, understand it, and take the test. Whether or not they pass it is a matter of, of performance. Um, gender shouldn't be a consideration. We've come to that conclusion. Height shouldn't come shouldn't matter. I've known plenty of five foot tall female police officers that were great officers. Did they do as good in a bar fight as the six foot, six inch male officer? Probably not, but that's not a reason to hire them or not hire them. You can't disqualify based on height or weight. So what do we do? We give them a fitness test. Can you pass a fitness test? Fitness test, again, performance-based. All of this goes into that. Now, where we're running into challenges and why I made up my caveat statement at the beginning about uh, transgender and gender, uh, there's a big debate now on whether or not Um, somebody who is gender dysphoric has a mental or emotional instability and whether or not that causes sufficient uh, stress or uh, complication of performance in a day to disqualify them from coming to the police department. Some agencies hire transgender people with no problem. Some agencies consider transgenderism an indication of an instability that they disqualified the, the applicant. And that's just like I said at the beginning, it's a really obviously, it's a visually obvious example of something that agencies have to deal with. And it may be regional. You know, like you, we mentioned, you said something about that little town in Idaho um, where you, you might not have any transgender applicant, so it's not a big deal. Then when you get the one, is it disqualifying? Is it not disqualifying? Can they meet all the other performance standards? Are there is there any indication at all? that that characteristic of that person creates a problem. If not, then why would they be disqualified? But then once you hire them, there are a whole bunch of other considerations you have to take into effect. And I guess we'll talk about some of those too.
1: Well, and and I just wanted to touch on one more thing when it comes to, I guess, mainly, you know, recruiting um, before we get into, you know, how do you deal with DEI when it comes to patrolling the streets? But, um, you know, so, When it comes to recruiting, and our September-October issue will also be um, have a recruiting and a retention special section in it, and we do talk about a a little bit about this in in a couple of the articles, Um, you know, you talk about in the past having to lower standards, but at the same time, sometimes you're just expanding or altering um, those standards. To uh, bring in more recruits, uh, because because right now it's very difficult uh, to find applicants to fill these positions. Uh, Sometimes you have empty positions. And I guess if if you, you know, if an agency and it depends on the area, but if an agency has enough applicants. um, That maybe aren't traditional officers in the past. Would it be holding them to alter their standards to be able to accept some of these applicants?
0: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, we live in modern times. And I mean, two of the examples I'll give you are tattoos and beers. Um, You know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it was not uncommon to uh, have any visible tattoos prohibited. Um, Some of the more quote unquote enlightened agencies, they said you just can't have prejudicial tattoos. Uh, visible you know something that's going to cause a problem and i'm with that i look i get it um i've got a friend back in the day embraced the prejudicial system um and he has an ss tattoo on his arm a nazi ss tattoo on his arm if he went and applied for police department i would consider that absolutely disqualifying but the tattoo of the wolf on his forearm not so much uh you know, the female that comes in and she has an Aries tattoo on the back of her neck under her hairline. Who cares? But it used to be tattoos were verboten. Um, and and we've come away around and changed our way of thinking. And so, uh, but you might still have some old chiefs who who don't like them. I, I had a chief in the late 90s who um, pretty much told me all my tattoos were stupid, even though he had one on his arm. And when I asked him about it, so I was young and dumb. I was in the Navy. I went, okay. Um, and beards, you know, we, we we used to have a clean shaven requirement or carefully trimmed mustache only. There was modified codes for plain clothes or undercover. Um, why? Now we've got to a point where we say, look, it's got to be neatly kept. You have to maintain a professional demeanor, but beards in, in today's world are fashionable, can be considered professional. So we modify our grooming standards um, and they become acceptable. And those are easy, simple examples of how we have to evolve. We have to come along, change with the times uh, to keep our applicant pool wide enough that we can try to meet our recruiting and retention goals.
1: Yeah, Frank, I think that, you know, term evolve is is important here because when you think about it, you know, you even talked about uh, women in law enforcement. When when you look at, say, 1980, you know, how do and and that was more than 40 years ago now. When you look at what an officer looked like in nineteen eighty versus today, and then what an officer looked like in nineteen eighty versus forty years before that 1940, it's much, you know, it's drastically different. Um, so of course, you know, things are gonna change over time and things are gonna progress. It's just kind of the way it is. Um, can we just yeah, I, I touch on a little bit here um about what Agencies have to deal with concerns they may have um, when it comes to DEI and patrolling the streets.
0: So when we talk about patrolling, we also talk about serving warrants, searching people, arresting yep. people, um, incarcerating them in temporary holding facilities. Um, you know, you have the, the huge liability. And we, I think we've discussed this before. Uh, I know the agency that I deal with the most, their policy now says uh, it doesn't matter how the person you're dealing with identifies whatever their state issued ID says that's how you handle them. So they they can say I'm a woman all day, but if their driver's license says they're male, you treat them as male. So when they get to a holding facility, you don't put that transgender woman, biologically male individual into a female holding cell, because you can create problems for yourself. Um, you know, you don't you don't take a transgender woman on the street and specifically try to find a female officer to search her. It's, it's, it's biologically male driver's license says male, male officers handle the search, the arrest, transport, all that. Um, And, you know, obviously Paul, the same thing comes in. We talk about, we're talking about patrol, but if you hire transgender officers, you've got to have policies in place for your locker rooms and your restrooms and, how you refer to people and everything else. I mean, it it can get to be quite convoluted. Uh, but on the street, the, the agencies need to have a policy in place that says this is how we're going to deal with it. Uh, you know, way back as in the late '80s, even uh, we pulled over people who were homosexual, dressed flamboyantly, male dressed as female, whatever. Um, and who cares? You know. We 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 would have some individuals. Well, I'd rather have a woman search me. Well, I'd rather have a woman search me too. But that's because I'm heterosexual, and and that appeals to me. Um, you don't get a choice. The policies have to be in place, but the training has to has to go as well. You have to have training to support your policy. Policy has to be published. Your agency ought to have definitive guidelines for how you deal with anyone. Uh who has a characteristic that's part of an underrepresented segment of society another way of saying any minority and and whatever that minority characteristic is you have to have a policy on how you handle people how you deal with people how you treat people and you have to have training in place for as well as a matter of fact one of our courses that we're working on for our virtual academy is a dei specific course it'll be probably the next one we post
1: great frank well yeah, I would, I would tell everybody definitely check out our uh, Officer Virtual Academy um, on our website. That lots of really good information there. Lots of free training that you can take advantage of. of. Also, uh, take keep a lookout for the September-October issue of Officer Magazine. Like you we said, we'll uh, have an article about the We'll also have a recruiting and retention uh, special section in there as well. So a lot of good stuff in that issue and uh frank yeah is there anything else that you wanted to touch on um in this episode
0: i just want to, again as always tell everybody to stay safe you know we're posting this we're getting ready to come into the crazy season halloween's uh end of next month and then we have thanksgiving and christmas everybody needs to pay attention stay safe
1: hey thanks frank and as always guys if uh thank you for listening to the episode and if you would like to pass on any suggestions any comments anything to us uh you can reach us at editors at That's editors at officer.com. and take care and stay
0: safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.